If you were here last Sunday, then you might recall that our appointed psalm for that day was the first chapter in the book of Psalms, which famously begins this way. Blessed is the man who has not walked in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stood in the way of sinners, and has not sat in the seat of the scornful. Now, you've likely heard this verse before. Perhaps someone has even tried to warn you of the downward progression that this verse describes. Maybe it was a parent or a teacher who said to you, be careful, for it all starts with walking with the wrong crowd. And then before you know it, you're not just walking with bad company, you're standing with them. And then from that point, it's only a matter of time before you end up sitting down with sinners. So watch out. Be careful choosing the crowds you hang out with because it's a slippery slope indeed to go from walking to standing to sitting with the wrong sorts of people. You've heard this before? It's, uh, it's why we parents pay extra close attention to the group of friends that surround our children because it can happen just like that, right? You're, you're walking, standing, sitting. Now, there are some translations of this verse that don't read, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but instead say, blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, even though the first translation is the more literal, uh, the more literal rendering of the Hebrew, blessed is the man, the second translation makes it easier to apply this verse more broadly, right? Not just man or men. Blessed are those men and women. I don't think you lose too much in this translation with the second reading. Blessed are those. But some would argue that you do. They would argue that if the verse reads, blessed are those, then you might be covering up a possible allusion to Jesus, because Jesus, it is said, is the man who fulfills this verse. He is the one who does not walk or stand or sit with sinners. And so it is stressed, this verse should not be changed. It should be left alone. Blessed is the man. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Except that our gospel reading for today would beg to differ, wouldn't it? For in this story that we heard read a moment ago, Jesus is rightly being accused of failing to fulfill the words of Psalm 1. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them, they say. Look, he, he's already sitting down with the ungodly. He's already sitting down with sinners. Unbelievable. Jesus, why aren't you doing what the Bible says? So Jesus tells them a couple of parables. Parables des designed to defend his own sliding down the slippery slope that lands him sitting down with a rabble around a table. And here's the first parable he shares. Jesus says, Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and go after the one that is lost? And then when you find it, you rejoice, don't you? You come home, invite all your friends and neighbors over, and you throw a big party. Well, that's what I'm doing here. I am having 
a party with the angels in heaven because these sinners were lost and now they are found. It seems to me that one person's party can be another person's annoyance, right? I mean, who hasn't found themselves relishing a quiet moment at home when all of a sudden you begin to hear and to feel the, the driving bass sounds of dance music coming from the next-door neighbor? You know, oh, right now? Are you kidding me? And so you grumble. Or who hasn't thrown a party yourself only to discover that your own neighbor, irritated by your gathering, has called the cops to complain about the noise and the haphazard parking in the street? Once again, one person's party is another person's annoyance. That's exactly what's going on in our passage today. The Pharisees are not at all happy about the party Jesus is throwing because he's extending hospitality to a bunch of riffraff. What sort of Jewish role model are you, Jesus, when you are so quick to do what Psalm 1 says not to? When you are so quick to sit down in the seat of such sinners? But before we start filleting the Pharisees for responding in this way, we need to remind ourselves that they are not the bad guys in the first century. Remember that the Pharisees were those in Jesus' time who took God's word very seriously, just like we do. They took holiness seriously, obedience to God very seriously, just like we do. In fact, you could say that the Pharisees were the conservative Christians of Jesus' day. They were the culture warriors who fought against the growing influences of Greek paganism, calling the Jewish people back to God to remain faithful to God's covenant. Nothing wrong with that. And even in our story this morning, it is the Pharisees who, who stand in the reasonable and long-respected position that says, hey, keep yourself unstained by the world, right? Right? That's a pretty big emphasis in the, in the Old Testament. And so it is the behavior of Jesus, on the other hand, that is radical and out of line here. You see, uh, from our pews, 2,000 years removed, it's easy for us to, to sit at a safe, a safe distance and to cheer Jesus on as he receives sinners and socializes with them. But it's another thing to recognize that we are more like the Pharisees in this story than we know. For like the Pharisees, we are the competent ones, the rule followers. We are the biblically informed, the churchgoers, just like them. Only, just like the Pharisees, we are also quick to weaponize verses of Scripture to take aim at those we deem unworthy to receive the grace of God. But Jesus has a word for us Pharisees. Chill out and join the party. I mean, maybe that's not exactly how he put it, but that is another reason why Jesus is telling these parables. For these parables of his are not just his defense, they're his invitation to Pharisees like you and me. Stop grumbling and join the party. 
you probably already know that Jesus actually tells three parables on this particular occasion, not just two. The third being his, his most famous parable of the prodigal son. You remember how that parable ends? It was with the, the older brother. And he's ticked off at his dad because his dad is, is throwing a party for his, his foolish little brother who had run away and squandered every dime of his inheritance. Well, the last line of this parable, the parable of the prodigal son, says everything we need to hear this morning. Son, he says, or daughter, if we want to tweak the translation. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours, but we had to celebrate. We had to rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has now come to life. He was lost and has been found. So come, join the party. We never know what happens after this. Does the elder brother storm off? Does, does he tear up and soften? Maybe he gives his, his dad a, a big hug. Does he join in with the feasting and with the dancing? Well, it's, it's kind of left to our imagination, which is sort of the point. <laughs> the ball is now in your court, Mr. Pharisee. What are you going to do? I don't know about you, but I think it's hard to crack a Pharisee like you and like me. To get us to heartily rejoice when God's grace flows into those low places where the sinners we don't like tend to hide and play. It's so difficult at times for us to embrace the other, especially the other we don't like, the other we don't understand those whose stories aren't like our stories, those who come from tough places and rough backgrounds, maybe those who might struggle with addiction or depression. Maybe it's the financially unstable. Why can't you get your act together? Maybe it's the uneducated. You just don't know enough. Even those who have different political views than our own. It's so much easier to demonize them, right? So much easier to assume they aren't really genuine Christians. And so we're prone to perpetuate rumors about them, maybe even grumble when the grace of God flows into their lives. <laughs> we're Pharisees. <laughs> what are we Pharisees going to do? How can we stop grumbling and join the party instead? Perhaps we need a guide to help us out here, you know, a role model. A Pharisee who has gone before us, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, one who is blameless under the law, yet one who has also experienced waves of mercy and grace in his life. You know of whom I'm referring. The hardest Pharisee to crack of them all, Saul of Tarsus, later known as the Apostle Paul. A man who never, by the way, dropped the label Pharisee. He always kept that label. But he did eventually get to a place where he could join the party. He did eventually get to a place where he could celebrate the radical grace of God in the lives of those whom he might not have liked. If you know his story, you know it all began with an awakening, right? I mean, so important was Paul's awakening moment, his awakening story that it is told three times in the book of Acts. 
once by Luke, the author of Acts, and then twice on the lips of, Peter, of Paul himself as he's making his defense before different authorities. It was this awakening experience that created in Paul an ongoing awareness of just how radical and wonderful the grace of God can be. His story is a story of how God, who like a shepherd looking for his lost sheep, sought out and found Paul despite him persecuting Christians. It's a story of how God, who like a woman lighting a lamp and sweeping the house to find her lost coin, searches and finds Paul even in the darkness of his stubborn resistance. I mean, snippets of Paul's story are peppered throughout all, most all of his writings because he just can't help telling this story. The grace of God had so radically changed this Pharisee that it had become fundamental to his ministry and how he viewed and related the other right? And so, for example, in his first letter to the church in Corinth, he says of himself, he says, I am the least of all the apostles, right? A few years later, when he writes what is known today as Ephesians, he says, not only am I the least of the apostles, I am the very least of all the saints. (laughs) And then, much later in life, Paul writes a letter to Timothy, his protege, And in that letter, he calls himself, we read it this morning, the foremost of sinners. I mean, you saw the progression, right? Least of the apostles, least of the saints, foremost of sinners. And I don't think that Paul is just beating himself up. That's not what's going on. He's not wallowing in low self-esteem. No, he's just growing more and more aware of just how much the grace of God has changed his life, right? And not only that, he's growing more and more aware of how all people are in the same boat, just like he was. Everyone is always and everywhere in desperate need of the grace of God. Listen to what we heard read a moment ago, and as Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I am grateful to Christ Jesus because he appointed me. He appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, I was formerly a persecutor, a man of violence. He killed people. But then he says, I received mercy, and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me. Man, when this is your perspective, when this is your outlook, I don't think you're going to be bothered when Jesus sits down with other sinners, are you? Because it was this same Jesus who also sat down with you. It was this same Jesus who also lifted you out of that pit, who who rescued you from your own despair. Now you know and understand that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everyone stands on grace. And so what's the difference between Paul the Pharisee before his awakening and Paul the Pharisee after it? Well, beforehand, Paul didn't see himself as a prodigal at all. No, Paul was the elder son, the righteous one. He stood high and above all those around him, and so he could never join that party. But now, on the other side, he knows exactly who he is. He is a prodigal, found and refashioned by the grace of God in Christ. Now he knows deep down in his bones 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom he is the foremost. And so, yes, he would say, let's throw a party every time a sinner repents, every time a prodigal returns home, because you know what? We're all prodigals, and we're all invited to the same party. This is the way forward for us. This is how God cracks a Pharisee like you and me. He he overwhelms us with his grace. He allows us to see that we are in our gospel story today, not just once. We're actually found in our story twice. For we are the Pharisees, yes. But if we also see ourselves as the lost sheep, if we also see ourselves as the lost coin, then, yes, we will be ready to celebrate, right? We are the elder son in the prodigal son story, yes. But if we also see ourselves as the prodigal, then we, too, will join the party. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see that you have overwhelmed our lives with such grace, grace that is found in your Son, Jesus, and in the Spirit. And that your grace is at work beyond our very selves, beyond this church, in places in this world and in people in this world whom we might at first be repulsed by, people that we look down upon. Lord, help us to see that we're all standing on level ground. Help us to be a grace, so gracious of a people that we are ready to celebrate and move toward all those who are experiencing your grace in their lives because we're all in the same boat. We want to be that kind of a church. Help us, we pray, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.